0: got to make is uh, this morning the copier machine, the printer wasn't working right, so I didn't have the uh, sermon notes, but I did get them printed if you want some. They are in the back for those of you who'd like to keep them. So I'll give you a moment to get those if that's something you want. I did get them printed at the last moment, but there are some back there if you want those. You can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, and we'll start with the first verse as we read today to the announcement of Herod. A little different figure than what we have been looking at. Like I said, we looked at Mary and Joseph. And just to kind of catch everybody up, remind us where we're at. We've been doing these different announcements of Christmas and how they impact the people's lives. And and so our theme verse for this year as you're turning to Matthew is is this passage from from Romans. And, And this is what we're hoping to come to a culmination on Christmas Eve and then really seeing its impact on our lives the last Sunday of the month. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so we've been kind of looking at these figures, these people who've been bringing good news uh, throughout the Christmas season with this, this news of the Savior, the, you know, the angel coming to Mary, and, and then the angels coming to the shepherds, and uh, the angels visiting Joseph four different times. And today, it's not an angelic visit. It's a, it's a, it's a man visit. It's a, a visit because the Herod doesn't get his announcement from angels. He gets it from the wise men. The people we call the Magi, they show up and and tell Herod what's going on. And so it's one of the first instances where uh, uh, humans are passing on the good news and so far in the story. One of the things we've been looking at basically is is how the people react once they hear the announcement. And, And this is kind of based on this thought. Our reaction to the announcement reveals what we really believe about what we've heard. It, how you react to what you hear kind of is the, is the key to showing what you think about what you heard. If, if you don't believe it, you usually dismiss it. If you do believe it, then you will probably act with it. So our reactions to, to the announcements is really key. And so today, we, like I said, we've talked about Mary. We've talked about the shepherds. We talked about Joseph and his really good reaction, his consistent reaction uh, over and over. He gets uh, three different announcements or four different announcements. He responds uh, consistently with obedience and courage and and immediacy. Um, A a really great example for us to follow. And so today we're going to be looking at King Herod, starting in Matthew chapter 2 with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men of the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod heard the king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now pay attention to that. That might be a verse that you kind of want to pay attention to. All of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes and all the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. Or so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently. they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned by, uh, in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Skip down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that they had been, he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, all in the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken of the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. So she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Now, as I said... This is the the message to Herod is delivered by the Magi these these uh, astrologers or the wise men from from afar from the east they're the ones who see the star now they get the message apparently from God right special revelation God put the star in the sky and they saw that they find out that there's a king and, and they're going to worship this king in Jerusalem uh, they also are visited by an angel and given a warning and kind of like Joseph they respond by being obedient now hopefully most of us if we're ever visited by angels you will do what they say I would probably encourage that if you if an angel of God comes up you know doing what he says is a, probably a good idea a couple of things we point out in the story um, I, I did a sermon series through the nativity one time and we t- we took each piece and kind of added it each week a- and really in the nativity scene the, the the wise men, the Magi should probably be back in the back corner somewhere. Because they didn't show up Christmas night. <laughs> It was sometime later when they show up. Uh, uh, some people believe it was, uh, and according to this time frame, maybe even up to two years that Jesus spent the first two years of his life there in Bethlehem. It says they came into the house, and, and that's what Herod uses as their timetable. to. When he sends out the order to kill all the infants, he starts at two years younger. And so he, he's somewhere in that frame. So the, the wise men weren't there that night, but they do show up, and, and they bring their gifts um, it's interesting that, uh, of what they're doing. And so they, their response when they hear this message or they see this sign in the sky is they want to come and see and come and worship. Which is another great response to when we hear the announcement is to come and see and come and worship. Herod, though, uh, just let me tell you a little bit about this man. Herod. Get back to his picture. Anyway. Herod. As a as a person, Herod becomes kind of paranoid in his old age. Herod was the king. He's he's a well known king. He he's considered by some uh, uh, scholars or historians. Uh, to be one of the most prolific kings in building. He, he built all kinds of temples and uh, palaces. And, and he left his mark on ancient Israel probably uh, as much as any uh, king of that time with what he did. But he, but he comes very paranoid in his old age or as he becomes king for a, for a while. So much that he actually would have his relatives imprisoned. And sometimes executed if he was afraid they might be after his throne. Down to the point that he even had two of his own sons killed at one point. Uh, he had ten wives, had numerous children who would be fighting for the throne. And, and history tells us that one of, his, uh, one of his eldest sons, he actually had executed just five days before he himself would die. Um, and so Herod was, was not a, a real uh, good guy uh caesar there's a legendary quote that caesar said at the time that he would rather be one of herod's pigs than one of herod's sons uh, because of how bad he was on his own family the, his, the, the the ancient historian first century historian josephus said this about herod he was a man who was cruel to all alike and one who easily gave in to anger and was contemptuous for justice So Herod was not a a really good guy. And and we kind of see that even reflected there in that story when it talks about that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Well, that's kind of when the king is upset, everybody, it's a bad day for everybody. You you might be familiar with uh, one of my favorite sayings in in the world is, you know, happy wife, happy Life. life, right? Upset king, things are really bad. So when the king is upset, and he's a man given into anger and who's easily angered. That flows down to all the people. And so we read that in that verse. as Herod was upset and all of Jerusalem with him. And so I, we don't know exactly what he did to, to kind of lash out on the people. But you've got to remember, these people are getting news that the, the Messiah is coming. Why are they upset? Well, they're upset because the king is upset. And what, when the king's upset, it's bad news for everyone. And so there's a couple of things we just kind of want to talk about. And as I said, you know, we, how you respond to the message, it really tells us a lot about what you think about what you heard. And I'm afraid in our day, if we're honest, many people's response is very much like Herod's response. Herod's response is like many who hear about Jesus even today. And what I mean by that is I think Herod was probably fine With the announcement of the Savior. You remember the the, the announcement that comes from the angels. I bring you good news uh, of great joy. That's to all people that today in the city of David is born a Savior. Well, that's good news, right? I'm all about there being a Savior. And people really like the saving aspect of Jesus. You know, if you can convince them they need a savior, you know, but they don't mind somebody looking out for them. They don't mind someone there to save them. They don't mind someone there to rescue them. You know, and a lot of people treat Jesus as this savior safety net. You know, they, they think of Jesus kind of like a life preserver, you know. You put it on, and if you don't need it, that's fine. But if you do need it, you know, you got it, and good deal, right? It, it'll save me in the case of an accident. And a lot of people treat Jesus like that. Just be my savior. I'm gonna put you on as an insurance policy, as a as kind of a, a lifesaver in case the ship goes down. I got I'm wearing one, I'll be okay no matter what. People also sometimes are even fine. With the idea of Jesus being Messiah. Now, you remember what I, we, we talked about, what Messiah means, that Messiah, and probably its simplest way to understand Messiah, is Messiah is the guy who's gonna take care of Satan. I mean, that's the base idea of what the Messiah will be, starting off in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and throughout the Old Testament, the idea of the Messiah is this guy who's gonna come. And conquer Satan. Who's going to take care of Satan. Going to put him in this place one time. Who's going to have victory over Satan. And who's not happy about that? I mean, you know, whoever you are, whatever you think about the devil, you're not going to be, not too many people, I'm sure there's some today, who's going to be rooting for the devil. But most rightly thinking people aren't pulling for the devil, right? they're like, okay, well, he's a bad dude and he deserves what he gets and the Messiah's going to take care of him. I'm fine with that. The problem for Herod comes in some new information that the wise men bring. And so if you look at those verses again now Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king behold wise men from the east are saying to him where is he who is born king of the Jews So they come to the king and they ask him where's the king at Now, this is the guy who's killing his own children because he's afraid they might become king. And so what Herod is not so fine with, he's not so fine with this idea of Jesus being king. And I would submit that's where the trouble comes in for many people who hear the announcement of Jesus Christ today. We're good with a savior, you know. Save me, rescue me, look out for me, take care of me. All about that. Messiah, yep, devil deserves it. Get it, take care of him. You know, I'm happy with that. Oh, you want to rule my life? Hmm, let me think about that. And really, that seems to be the rub with Herod. And when we look at this story, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we okay with Jesus being king? One of the things, one of the little side notes I'll point out in this story. Now, now let me just point out this, that Herod is a great comparison for Joseph. Last week we looked at Joseph. Joseph fulfilling, getting to be used by God to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. I think that's got to be one of the greatest honors in your life to say, I helped fulfill biblical prophecy. You know, very one-to-one direct. Joseph's obedience led to prophecies being fulfilled. That's amazing. The fact of the matter is, Herod also was used by God to fulfill prophecies. Right? It says, because of what Herod did, because of his anger, because he couldn't control his anger, because he's this mean, vindictive, and he didn't mind killing people. Person, he fulfills one of the worst. Prophecies about the Messiah, about the, the genocide of all these young babies, and that's talked about there in verses 16, 17, and 18. Not a great prophecy to be the one you want to fulfill. And like I said, you know, Joseph was somebody we want to be like, Herod is someone we don't want to be like. He's, a, he's an example to avoid. But what I think one lesson we can get from this situation, kind of a little side note, is that God can. And does use people who resist him, that is non-servants, to advance his kingdom. That God can use people who don't follow him to still do his will. In this case, he uses Herod. Someone who would have rejected him as God, who was out to do his own thing. And God can still use us and use people who don't follow him to do his will. And so it's not about God needing people to accomplish his will. God's will is getting accomplished. The question is... Which are you going to be? Are you going to be one who serves willingly or one who's not serving so willingly? Will you let him be your king or is he just going to be king over you regardless? There's a passage in Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11, it says this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, and the him here is Jesus, and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, I have did some extensive study on the Greek words in this passage this week that I want to share with you. And that word for every is pan, all right? And pan means every, all, everyone. It means the whole thing. And what this passage is telling us is that every person that has ever lived, every creature that has ever made, whether it's a spiritual creature or not, that everyone will bow their knee and confess out loud that Jesus is Lord. That's everybody. The question that we face is whether these people will bow because they recognize Jesus As their Lord, because they willingly submit to him, that they bend their knee willingly, or they bend their knee out of fear and judgment. I mean, that's really the question that we face in life. Everybody's bending their knee. Everybody's confessing that Jesus is Lord. The question we ask is, is this something we do willingly? Do we submit? Do we claim and say, yes, be my king Or do we at some point have him because of his awesomeness and his judgment and his power over say, I didn't like it, but I must confess, must confess you are king and be driven to their knees. This is what we're facing. And in the end, that is where Herod will be, confessing Jesus as king, even though he resisted him. So I'm afraid Herod's response is very much like people. Fine with the Savior, fine with the Messiah, but not so fine With Jesus being king. So the the fact of the matter is that we have to deal with, and that passage tells us, that Jesus is king. That every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord, right? That's the same word. Lord, king. It's the same kind of idea. And one of my favorite phrases, one of the the earliest Christian uh, mottos developed early in the first or second century is this phrase. Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is King. Which caused many of our brothers and sisters from the first and second century and on to be actually martyred. Because what they're saying, kings like to remain king. And, and Christians went around saying Jesus is king or Jesus is Lord in the face of Caesar who also wanted to be king. And didn't want in there to be any other kings. And they're proclaiming their allegiance to Christ Christ. The Lord. And so, really, the question we ask is when we hear this story, good news of a Savior who's Christ the Lord, the Messiah, he is the King who should be worshiped. Will we accept him as King? Last week, we talked about one of the primary discipleship considerations. As, As we looked at Joseph's life, And if we want to be a disciple, and a disciple is a follower of Jesus or a follower of the king, right? If we want to be a disciple, the first thing we have to consider, and this is kind of what uh, Jared was talking about counting the cost, is, you know, if we want to hear from God, serve God, and be used for God for his purposes, then we have to be willing to have our life interrupted right? We have to be, have our agenda set aside for his agenda. We need to, to let him be in charge and that our life is now his life. And that's the first cost we have to make is if, if that's what I want to be, if I want to be a disciple, then I have to be willing to have my life interrupted and do what the king wants me to do. But then there's two more questions And these are two disciple-making or becoming questions. So so one of the things that we're going to talk about on the last Sunday is, is making disciples, this command that we have to go and make disciples. And so one of the things for us to understand when we talk to people is there's two questions you can ask people that really help them decide whether they want to be a disciple or not. This is how we make disciples, and it's also, if you haven't answered these questions, how you would become a disciple, how you would become a follower of Jesus, the first question is, is Jesus Savior and Messiah? Do that, that message we heard from the angels when they spoke to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all people that for to you today in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the King or Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So the first thing we had to answer is: do we believe that he is the Savior of the world? and the Messiah of God? I mean, that's the the simplest question we can ask. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior? If you say yes to that, then you can ask yourself the next question, which is, will you accept him as king? I guess it's possible, at least people will claim or act like They say yes to the first and no to the second. I would probably argue you can't say yes to the first and say no to the second. I would probably argue that's an impossibility or or, or very difficult for you to really believe Jesus is the Messiah. And then say, yeah, I believe he is God incarnate, creator of the world, Messiah, the promised one of God. But I don't want to follow him. I would doubt that you really mean or really thought about what that first statement means. If you're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that, uh, really. But there are certainly people who act like they say yes to the first and no to the second. That they believe in Jesus, but they don't follow him. And that's not making, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is saying, yes, I believe, and yes, I follow Uh, I think we've gone wrong. I'm going to be, and Jared, you can just repeat this. I think we've gone wrong and we've spent much of our time making believers and not making disciples. We've spent our time getting people to say yes to the first question and not saying yes to the second question. We've made it easy to even ignore the second question. You know, all we care about is, will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus is the Savior? Will you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Will you believe? Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. And then we come back door and say, now you've got to do everything he says. And he's got to have complete control of your life. And your life has to be expendable and interruptible for him and his purpose. And he gets to be large and in charge and the boss. Wait a second. You didn't tell me that up front. You didn't tell me about that part. I just want to believe. I I want the Savior to put around my neck so I'm safe. And I want the Messiah who's going to take care of the devil. And then I want to be in charge of my own life and do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And the problem is that's not discipleship. And if we cut out that second question, if we don't ever ask that second question, and if we don't ever answer that second question for ourselves, then we might be believers but we can't claim to be disciples because discipleship, in its base understanding, is a following, is a listening to and being commanded for, is having Jesus as Lord, King, too. And so as we think about those questions, as you consider those questions, it's, it's, it's really, the, the, this is the rubber meets the road for Christianity, This is where we will spend our lifetime struggling, to be quite honest with us, is, yes, I believe, how much control am I going to give away? Can I give Jesus 50-50? A lot of people would sign up. I'll give you 50-50. You know, I'll give you 60-40, 25-75. Jesus demands 100%. I think it's hard for you and I, really, as Americans, to understand the concept of kingship. I can't say that I understand it very well, what it means to have Jesus as a king, because I've never lived with a king over my life. It's, it's not a concept I understand. I can understand God as a father because I had one, right? And I am one. And so, so when, when the Bible describes him that way, it helps me, I can, I can understand that. Because it's something I've experienced. I've never experienced life in a kingdom. You know, really. I've never had a king over my life. Because what I understand about having king is, is that your identity is found in relationship to the king. It's how you relate to the king. I'm the king's whatever. I'm, you know, his confidant. I'm his knight. I'm his servant. I'm his you know, male lady, I'm the cup bearer, I'm you, you think about all the stories of king uh, in the Old Testament. It's it's how you relate to the king. is That's your own identity. It, it, you define yourself by the relationship you have with the king. Uh, you're not your own person. You are the king's blank, whatever that is. And, and that's your own identity and self-description. And, and that's the way it should be with Jesus, right? Uh, you know, I am who I am because of Jesus. My identity is because of who Jesus is. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's shepherd, under-shepherd. I'm the Lord's whatever it is that I do. I do it because of who he is. And my identity is found in him and not myself. Also, when you have a king, the whole focus is on the king. It's all about what does the king want? Just what makes, what's good for the king, what makes the king happy, what helps his kingdom advance, what, it's all about him. And in our relationship with the, with the Lord, with Jesus, it should be all about Jesus and very little about us. There's probably the, 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 the thing that helped me grasp, <laughs> this is silly, but I had an aha moment once in my life. I watched a movie and I like, Watching movies and getting kind of spiritual concepts out of them. They help me have these moments sometimes. There's an, old, uh, an older movie called The Last Samurai. All right. And, and, and the quick, try to give you the quick story. There's this, this, this magnificent samurai who has led battles, led men in the battles, won victories for, for years and years and years. He's advanced in his age. He's probably in his 50s at this. And, you know, he has hundreds or thousands of men at his command and he's well loved and he, he's, he's a warrior. You know, he's just a, a man's man. And there's a new emperor. And the kid's 17 years old, and he's just come into being the emperor, and, and things are changing in China, and there's this whole political uproar and faction. And this 17-year-old kid doesn't know how to, to navigate the political situation. And so the old samurai is trying to hold on to the kingdom and, and serve the emperor like he's supposed to be, but it's causing some tension with some of the political back, backwater stuff that's going on. And, and so they're kind of out to kill the samurai or, or get him to shut up. And there's this scene where this this giant warrior with his swords and just, you know, just all that he is that you've learned through the thing. He comes and he's standing and he's taller. And he's standing before this 17-year-old with his pimples on his face and everything else who who is the emperor. And he looks at this guy who's his king. And this great man of war bows to his knees, prostrates himself before him. And he says to the 17-year-old... If you want my life, all you have to do is ask, and I will die right here. And in that moment, I'm like, that's what it means to have a king. That's what it means to say, my life, no matter who I am, how great I am, all that I've accomplished, all that I've done, you know, all my accolades and and, and everything that, that makes me quote unquote great, it's completely expendable at your one word. Like, we don't even have to go to battle. If you want me dead, all you got to do is say it. And it will happen right here right now. And in that moment, I realized that's what it means to have Jesus as your king. That my entire life should be expendable in a moment's notice because my king said so. I never really grasped that kind of idea very much, but but that's kind of the idea. And so as we're sitting here today, and and Scott's going to come and lead us in a a special to close, um, I want you to take these moments and just really think about these two questions. Is Jesus the Savior and Messiah? Are, Are you fine with that? Yes, I love the Savior. I recognize, and you may be blessed among a lot of people in the world. You may recognize you need a Savior because you you can be honest and say, I have sin in my life or seen sin in my life, and I know I need some saving from that because there's some stuff in my life that's not good, and I need him. That's a blessing if you recognize that. Maybe you recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the one who's going to take care of Satan, and and you're looking forward to the day he comes back and says, all right, it's time we going to put you in your place, crush your head once and for all, and it's going to be over. We're excited about that. But have you accepted him? Will you accept him? Allow him. Make him king. The passage, one of the passages we read that they read in the IMB statement was from Revelation chapter 7. And it says, the king who sits on the throne and the lamb. The truth of the matter is, he's on the throne already. Are we willingly bowing our knee and proclaiming him and accepting him and identifying with him and focusing on him? You are my king. Or are we going to be like everyone else who has to be driven and say, I tried to resist him, but you're on the throne and you're the king. The fact of the matter is, how do we relate to him?